Good morning. We're going to be looking uh, briefly at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And one of the things I was thinking um, before I was coming up here is just about God's Word. That we just need to really read it. And as we read it, I think we see, can see the truthfulness of it. And, you know, I've heard it criticized for being old, being 3,500 or 4,000 years old. Um, altogether, but it is the message of eternal God to us. And God hasn't changed, and his message that he delivers to us through his word uh, hasn't changed. And, you know, really, when you look at humanity, when we read about the people uh, in the Bible whose stories are recorded, whose lives are recorded, we realize that humanity hasn't changed either. So these things that we read, and we need to take the heart that God put his word in his book, and we really need to read it and study it and reflect on it. So we're going to be looking at, um, uh, think about the church at Thessalonica, and we're going to be considering what, what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians. And I'm just going to read again part of what Steve read. Um, just two through five of chapter one. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God, of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. I want us to really uh, focus initially on verses 4 and 5, um, where God said they were, they were beloved by God and chosen by him. And I think it's a great, it's a great feeling to be reminded uh, of God's love for his people. We need never to forget that God loves us also, and he has chosen us to do great things in his kingdom and for his kingdom and for his honor. Uh, God sent Paul to, the Thessalon to, to Thessalonica to bring to them the good news of Jesus Christ and was on a second missionary journey, which you can read about in the book of Acts. And Paul emphasized to the, to the Thessalonians that he did not come to them with his own message. Um, under his own power. Instead, as it said in verse 5, he came empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by God in what he was to speak, and he was empowered by God in what he wrote in his letters. So we, when we accurately teach the things that are written in the Bible, we are also preaching a message that is empowered by God and authorized by him. Whenever we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should be reminded that God has been pursuing us 
and that he is calling us into a deeper relationship with him, a closer walk with himself. And it was a call, it is a call that everyone should answer by believing in Jesus, repenting of their sins, and being baptized into Jesus. We all should do that. That's for the whole world. Um, if you notice in verse 3, Paul prayed. When Paul prayed, he, re he remembered their work, um, their work of faith, and their labor of love, and their steady and strong hope in Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to also remember that no matter what has happened in our lives, no matter what kind of trouble we face, uh, no matter what kind of difficulty we uh, have, what kind of suffering we go through, we need to work at keeping our faith and hope in Jesus and make sure that we are always serving and honoring him every day that he allows us to live. You know, we don't know how long we have, but the days he, give, the days he gives us and with the strength, however strong or weak that may be, uh, we need to devote those days to the Lord in honoring him. And we need to think about and we need to uh, know that the things we value are going to make all the difference in the types of lives that we live. And first, we need to value and love God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to take to heart that uh, God has loved us and thought of providing for us before he even created the world. He had a plan for us um, from the beginning for our salvation. He loved us when we were his enemies and when we had no regard for God. Romans 5 uh, verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his, love toward, his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we remember, need to remember that, that he uh, was seeking us. And we need to treasure. We need to treasure that we have been blessed to freely seek God and to know him. We need to value and appreciate how accessible the word of God is to us. You know, in the past, people couldn't even read. Most of the people in, in various countries around the world could not read. Yet we have been blessed with education, We've been blessed with the word of God in our language, and we need to take advantage of that and appreciate it. Uh, we have no fear that we're going to have serious consequences for expressing and practicing our faith. But you know that many of our brothers and sisters around the world do. They risk their lives and their livelihoods when they practice their faith, when they express their worship uh, of Jesus and of God. So we need to appreciate that. We also need to appreciate what Jesus has done for us, that he became one of us, and he showed us how to live, and uh, then he died for every person who ever lived. So everyone could come to uh, and spend eternity with him if they would just obey his gospel. And one thing I want to emphasize is to love God and Jesus, to love God the Father and Jesus the Son, doesn't just mean we love them as a father and as a son, um, or as, a, as our brother. 
at which they truly are, our Father and our brother and our Savior. But it also means that we need to understand and, and remember and love God as he truly is, as God. That we, we know that ourselves, that we don't feel love uh, by people if we don't believe that they know who we are. And if they don't accept us for who we are. And in the same way, we don't really know and love God if we refuse to accept him as God. Think about God is eternal. Uh, God has always existed. God um, brought the universe into existence by speaking. God sustains and upholds the world by his power. Uh, Psalm 104 verse 24 says, O Lord, how many are your works? You're in wisdom, you have made them all. And I think we need to really appreciate, if we examine the world and the things that God has done in the universe and the things which God has made, how can we not acknowledge the greatness of God, um, the brilliance of God, really? Um, how can we not accept that his wisdom is beyond our own? We can't. We have to see that. I mean, we willingly acknowledge when we see uh, excellence and brilliance in human beings, but God's uh, demonstration, his power, his planning, his ability is just beyond anything that we, uh, we see among, in humanity. So loving God, we must also include the acknowledgement that God's ways are best. It's really saying he has demonstrated, he has proved that he is wiser than we are. God's ways are best, and we need to willingly submit ourselves to God's ways. So loving God means that we need to learn his ways and to live the way God wants us to do, wants us to live. It's just obvious to me that God is wiser than we are. Even though we may not want to submit to that, God is wiser, he knows more, and his ways are better than our ways. Jesus put it very simply in John 14 verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In addition, we need to value one another. Too often, I think we look, we look at each other with the eyes of judgment. Um, we, we, need to, we need to work at being merciful to one another. Let us accept one another. Um, let, us, let us desire to help one another. And let us be willing to listen to one another. Um, somebody might be coming to you with a message or just coming, uh, saying something to you in an effort to try to help you or to help me. And we all need to uh, try to take that in and not uh, be offended. We need to learn to, uh, that we can learn from something, from someone else, from, from each other. And uh, when people talk to us or come to us, let's be very slow to be offended. Let's not take offense when someone offers advice. And let us not uh, just assume the worst. Let's assume the best and try to help one another do better. And let us be long-suffering and patient with each other. We also need to value the opportunity to serve one another and to serve God. Our life in the church and in this world, is not supposed to be a life that's all about 
pleasure in being consumers, being taking, taking things in. Um, we weren't made to live lives of ease where we just sit and let other people do things for us. We were made to work. Um, we see that from the very beginning in the garden, uh, even before the fall, Adam was placed there to tend and to care for the garden. He was there to work. He was there to take care of things. And we need to be involved in that, um, taking care of what needs to be done. And when we have found our niche in which to serve, let's also be willing to help another person who may want to help in that same area. Sometimes we get a little possessive, I think. We get possessive of that area. We love that work that we're doing. But we also need to help somebody else come into that area. And sometimes uh, what happens is we say, well, you want it? You can have it. <laughs> I'm not going to help you with it. You can have it. That is not, that's not the right attitude, right? Um, we need to be there with them. A better way is for you to stay and both of you figure out how to work together effectively and in a way that honors God. I mean, those are little things, but they demonstrate, do we believe what God has said? Are we willing to actually love one another and help one another to, to, to serve? And it goes to helping, allowing us, allowing one another uh, to be who they are, to serve, and we're going to help them serve and share in the work and the load. And that'll make us all stronger. Our society is continually trying to make us focus on ourselves and what we want. The world teaches us that, uh, actually it teaches us what we, want, what we ought to want. It, it tries to make us want certain things. Um, and then, once we want them, um, that we deserve to have those things, and that we won't be happy until we have them, okay? And that's what the world does. And what it does is it replaces the true uh, intrinsic values or things that are from, are from within, things that God built into us to value, um, and it causes us to replace them with things that are artificial, that are unfulfilling. When you look at them, ultimately, they are unfulfilling the things that we are sometimes led to value. So we need to be sure that we are not deceived in that way. And Jesus said um, in Luke 12, verse 15, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions? Why did he say that? Because we tend to be greedy, and we tend to pursue things. And, it, and when you look at this, it says, not even when you have abundance does your life consist of your possessions. So your life is, is not made up of the things you possess. And we may possess the whole world and find out we really have missed out on life. Jesus gives us a warning because it is so easy to be dece deceived about the things that bring peace and security. What are the forms that greed can take? We can be greedy for fame and public acclaim. We can be greedy for money and pursuing whatever will bring us the most money. 
we can be greedy for power and maybe being able to control other people. That's a, that's a powerful desire. Uh, that's very tempting oftentimes. We can be greedy for possessions and have the desire to show off what we have. Um, and we can be greedy uh, for, for certain kinds of people as well. And if we pursue these things, we could sacrifice a lot. We could give a lot of effort and time in, in our energy to obtain them. And when we, achieve, when we achieve them, we find that we are still not content. We're not at peace. We're not satisfied. We need to value the things that have true value and not be deceived by the glitter, um, the things that look so good in this world, in this age. I want us to now just take a look at uh, verse 9 of First Thessalonians chapter 1. And that says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. So, some of the people in the Thessalonian congregation had at one time worshipped idols. And it seems strange. Doesn't it seem strange that people could actually take stone and wood and metal and fashion those things into objects of worship? That seems strange to me. And to actually look to something that you made with your own hands and worship it. How could people be so ignorant to worship something that they have made with their own hands? Yet, the Bible, in Colossians 3, verse 5, in Ephesians 5, 5, it equates greediness with idolatry. They're the same. So seeking peace and contentment in the acquisition of things and other types of worldly success is just foolish and fruitless as carving an idol out of a piece of wood and putting your hope in it. It just doesn't seem like we're doing that, you know. But it's the same idea. We're replacing our hope and our, 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 our peace that we can have in God with something else. And it's just not effective. It's not, it doesn't make any sense. So what does it take? What does it take to turn from worshiping idols to worshiping the true God? One thing I think it takes is the realization that what we were doing or what we are doing is wrong. Um, another thing it takes is the willingness to let go of that which we have learned is wrong. This turning away from these wrong beliefs and wrong practices to turn to the true God is, is repentance. And it's, it's uh, not always easy to do. We may realize it's not right, but we still may have a difficulty letting go of it. But that's what God calls us to do. It, is, it may not be, you know, your, your sin or what's capturing you may not be greed. It may not be idolatry but we need to repent of, of, of it. And every one of us 
who has become a Christian had to repent. We had to repent of our sins. And we also need to repent on an ongoing basis as we walk with Christ. But again, repentance is not always an easy thing to do. Maybe, be, maybe because of our pride, uh, maybe because of the relationships that we have with people that are involved in these other things um, that don't conform to what, what, what God teaches, but it's something we need to do. And one of the things I want to mention is that sometimes, sometimes people feel that when we teach that they must repent, that we are saying that we're better than they are. Okay? They have to change. But I, and I, really, I really am sorry, I'm sad about that, because indeed we are no better than they. We also have to repent, and we had to repent. We are no better. We all must learn to repent, not because of what anyone else says, really, but because of the love, our love for God and our recognition of who he is as God. Um, we, need to, uh, we need to come to understand who God is and what he has done for us. And then we'll be motivated, I think, or more motivated to repent and to change for him. Um, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So no one should have to force us uh, or beat us over the head to cause us to re repent. When we recognize and we understand the kindness of God, we should, re we should be led to repent. Um, God's patience, God's kindness um, should cause us to want to be right with him and to honor him with our lives. It's how we respond. It's our response to his kindness. Um, now, I'm going to be making the invitation here. Really, God... Now, and just think about this. Jesus came and died so that you and I and every other person that ever lived could have the hope and the confidence of eternal life in paradise with God. You might wonder why Jesus needed to die for us, but the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. We are all in trouble. We might, you might still wonder why God just doesn't forgive us if he loves us. Just forgive our sins if he loves us. The problem is that our sins actually have separated us from God um, and made us his enemies. God is love, but God is also just. We must, someone must pay for the sins committed by human beings. And the one who pays had to be a human being also, and they had to be sinless so that they could be the acceptable sacrifice that God would receive. Now, since we all sinned, we all had a huge problem because there was no human being, there was no person available who was qualified to die on our behalf, on behalf of humanity. But God, as I mentioned before, God has a plan for our salvation even before 
the world was created. That is why, at just the right time, Jesus, the Son of God, who was also God, was born of the Virgin Mary, and he became a baby, just like all of us started out. He became a human being. And Jesus grew up like all of us. He had a family like we do. He, uh, he dealt with the problems of life like all of us do. He was tempted like all of us. Jesus suffered like all of us do. The big difference was that Jesus committed no sins. He was sinless. When Jesus was about 30 years old, he began to preach and to teach about God. And he called people, he called us to repentance and to return to God. After about three years of preaching and teaching the people, Jesus was arrested, beaten, tortured, and crucified. So he died. Though this seemed to Jesus' followers at that time to be just a work of sinful people. But in reality, it was according to God's foreordained plan of how he would redeem us and bring us back. As Jesus died on the cross, he completed the work God gave him to do, to reconcile us back to God. Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were helpless. There was nothing that we could do. But God sent Christ at the right time. So Jesus died for everyone, so everyone could have the right to become children of God. And I really love uh, the way the Apostle John writes it in his gospel. In chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, he says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I think that is fantastic. Born of God. So if we were willing to receive Jesus Christ, if you are willing, to receive Jesus Christ. You can become a child of God today. If you believe in Jesus and are willing to repent of your sins and are willing to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you can become a child of God today. And if you're already a child of God, you know the blessings of God, and you can come if you need to and repent if you want to, if you want to come and do that publicly, you can ask the church to pray for you, and we will do that. In either case, you can become a child of God today. You can repent of your sins. And we just need to realize what, what it says here. It's not for any special group of people. It's for anyone who, who will receive Jesus Christ. They have the right to become children of God. So if you're willing to come, come as we stand and sing.